Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Five o'clock hour. You heard it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000 is the number. Had some good conversations about Deshaun Watson and the latest New York Times story on Deshaun Watson. People flipping out about it. Uh, Justin Watkins said from a legal standpoint, some of the new items in that story, some of the breaking news about the NDA provided by the Texans, a deeper dive. Uh, Justin was saying it's not going to make much of a difference to the legal proceedings. I have no idea what the NFL is going to do because uh, not a good look that the Texans did uh, somewhat enable and get involved in Deshaun's massages early on. And the report is 66 massages over 17 months. 5709000 is the number here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Willie Ramirez is the company. Big five time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. All right. I'm going to give the heads up of no spoilers, not only for the audience, but also for me. Apparently, you saw Top Gun Maverick. I don't know that I'm going to see it in the theater for various reasons. I will see it eventually, which I'm sure I will have some spoilers that are thrown in front of me at some point. Uh, Your opinion on the movie, how does it compare to the first movie? Um, I've hear, I'm hearing a lot of people say it's better than the original, and I think that's a good thing. But I think it's objective. I don't think that I don't think that you can compare the two. And here's why I think it's a good thing that you could say that because when I sent this over, I said Top Gun Maverick works in 2022. Doubt it would have in the late 80s. Really, not better than the original because I think that it's so far removed that it allows you to regain that excitement and feel like it's better. Um, I wish that I could have, well, not that I couldn't have, I just didn't because my mom invited me. She was like, hey, do you want to go see Top I was like, yeah, okay, let's go. She, she well, invited me. That would have been nice. We're going today. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't have your number. <laughs> but uh, so I would have liked to watch Top Gun. Not that I don't remember the movie, but you know it's fresh in your head and then go watch the Right. The sequel, but I just felt that it was really good this many years later, yeah. rather than an immediate sequel or immediate number two, and then all of a sudden you start doing the comparing and this and that. Whereas here, it's so far removed, and there's subtle hints of certain characters that they bring back in their storylines. I felt it was well done. I I really liked it. I love the acting of the new characters, um, the female jet pi- the the pilot in. Ah! The- no, there's nothing to spoil. I'm just telling you that I thought she did a great job. Okay. Yeah, no, her character, she, the, the actress that played her was fantastic. Are you a Tom Cruise fan? Do you have a... I am. Do you have some favorites I all time? Say, I you do. got a list? I do. I have a top 10, top 10 Cruise movies. Um, I'm going to go backwards. Number 10, Days of Thunder, NASCAR movie. Number nine, The Outsiders. People forget that he was in The Outsiders, right? The Greasers versus The Socius. He was in that movie. Number eight, one of my favorite uh, football movies from from younger days, All the Right Moves, Ampipe. Man, he had that pass interference call. Craig T. Nelson was mad, kicked him off the team, and then, of course, at the end, he ends up giving him a scholarship. Uh, Number seven, Top Gun Maverick, the new one. Number six, loved him in The Color of Money, 
with Paul Newman, which was, of course, the sequel to The Hustler. Paul Newman with Jackie Gleason. And it was so many years later. Tied for fourth. I couldn't decide. Uh, Rain Man and Top Gun. Flip them. Do what you want. But they're in there at four and five, five and four. Number three. Show me the money. Jerry Maguire. Number two. He couldn't handle the truth. A few good men. I mean, and you think about some of these movies that I'm talking about. A few good men. Rain Man. The Color of Money. Steve. Paul Newman. Dustin Hoffman. Jack Nicholson. Tom Cruise held his own with some great actors. Number one atop the list. I really like The Firm. I still watch that. If I see that it's on, it doesn't matter where it's in it. I will stop and watch it. I think it's a great movie. Yeah, my top two would be All the Right Moves and A Few Good Men. Strong. So you can't go wrong with it. All the Right Moves, like, so resonated with me. Yeah. Even as pro- I probably saw it when I was, like, 16 or 17 because it was 1983. Yeah. But there's some the, – the coach relationship effing over the kid mm-hmm. and kids yeah. got me so pissed off that I watch it now and I'm still, like – Still get livid. Yep. Yeah. I don't know what that says about me. It's a great movie. But I, I, well, I don't. I don't like bullies. Okay. I don't like. But you're kind I, of a bully. I, uh, yeah, I don't. But but I don't know that I'm a bully to the point where I deny people opportunities. Yeah. I don't like people who deny opportunities. God, let, that movie got under my freaking skin. Let me ask you this: People don't like actors because of the characters they play. I tend to think, like in that movie, Craig T. Nelson, right, with what he does. Yeah. Doesn't that tell you, like, if you hate that character for what he did? Doesn't that mean that Craig, you should love Craig T. Nelson as an actor? <laughs> he did such, he a, did such a great job that oh, he made you hate him. Believe me, there's there's a there's a scene in the middle of the movie with some uh, racial language that if you hadn't seen the movie original, you know, originally, yeah. and you're, you know, you're oh, just yeah. watching it in 2022, you're like, what? Yeah. Did he no, say in, that? In the motivational speech. Yep. We're the this, we're the this, we're the yeah. this. Okay. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. You're it, I'm it, and we're in it together. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a motivational speech because he says, you know what they say about us across the, you know, because they're playing the, the nice rich school if you will and and he says it you know what they call us the this the this the this and if you can think of the racial you you plug in a term he says it number four boy one of the dumbest stories i think that's played out over the last six months is this story of the a's having 20 sites to 10 sites to six sites to four to now two, it was just mentioned yesterday again. The A's are down to two Las Vegas sites. Meanwhile, the entire time we've never heard of a site. I don't really believe that there are any sort of serious negotiations with two sites. And I think this is just a plant to keep the story in front of people in Vegas, but more importantly, as a threat to Oakland. Now, I know you talk to, I'm, I'm not, this is not an insult, right? But outside of media circles, I know you talk to a lot of regular people. I talk to a lot of regular people. I talk to a lot of sports fans, right? I haven't had anyone. Like, maybe one in 20 have asked me about the A's coming here. There's zero buzz. And this nonsense of, oh, they're down to two. The countdown continues. It could be revealed pretty soon what that magical mystical site is okay we'll, we'll stop what are we doing here i get a question i i i get it 
um, and I come across, like you said, a lot of people, but I do get it often with my closer folks. Like if I catch up with like, you know what, when you pulled up today and I was sitting in the car, I was on the phone. I was talking to a, a close friend from back in the day and uh, who happens to also be one of my uh, financial advisors, my stockbroker. But uh, and he said, I said, hey, I got to get inside to the studio. We're getting ready for the show. He says, oh, the A's are coming, right? And I was like, no, they're not coming. <laughs> I mean, could they be here at some point? I suppose. But this process has been so weird. And the way this countdown has strategically been placed in it's Las ridiculous. Vegas, it, it's come on. What are the sites? Like if you if you or, or are they afraid that we might actually start discussing this thing? Because you notice in a previous story, they actually did get Steve Hill saying, oh, well, you know, some public funding might not be off the table. And I totally took that as you know, lick the finger, put it up to the wind and see if anyone reacted to it. I think almost no one reacted to it because most people don't think it's a serious story. Right. And you know who's not reacting? Oakland. Because at this point, it seems they, they, they're re if you don't think they're they, reading the writing on the wall, it's like, OK, guys, this is yeah. I mean, you're like using our deal, our deal is so much better than anything you're going to get in Las Vegas. Yeah. Go. That's what I would say. At this point. I think they're Go. calling her bluff. Yes. And that's a scary thing for the A's. Yeah. They've set up this whole scenario and Oakland ain't buying it. Number three. So I didn't mention it at the time. In the middle of the show, we had on Caleb Herring. We we're short on time. I'll say it again. Blasphemy with what you guys were saying about the NBA pregame and halftime and postgame getting on Stephen A. Say Both of you said you're tired of having Stephen A scream at you. Okay. You're wrong. Well, I guess that's an opinion. You can't be wrong. <laughs> Him screaming at us is a gift from God. It is a sports fan's dream. And now what First Take is doing is wonderful so you remember down the stretch of Stephen a and max it got to a point where Stephen a would make comments like basically max don't talk back to me because i'll ship your ass out of here and guess what max got shipped out right okay and, and he's even gotten on uh molly Karam for cutting in too much um he made a smart aleck remark to uh one of the former pro football players um the other acho now I'm blanking on his name, but um, they kind of emasculated him by, you know, Acho was fighting him a little bit. Sam Acho was fighting him a little bit. Yeah. And he's like, let me give you a little TV advice. Look into the camera. I'm like, whoa, what, what are you doing here? He's, he's making a good argument and you're trying to belittle him, treat him like a child. Well, I don't know if Stephen A was 100% down with it. I, I think he was. They added some new members to first take. So they got Mad Dog Russo coming in, and that guy's hilarious. Those and there's a mutual respect, so they kind of just, you know, out scream each other, right? And it's 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 sort of real, but not. And then they decided for basketball time, Stephen A's a basketball guy. Yeah. Right? They decided to bring in JJ Reddick. And you've seen Reddick. He goes at Russo, he goes at Stephen A. He doesn't give any Fs. Right. And then yesterday, they bring in CJ McCollum. And this thing got real interesting because apparently Stephen A throws out there that Russell Westbrook shouldn't be at the Darvin Ham opening press conference. And both guys, I think, took it the wrong way. And they tag teamed the hell out of Stephen A. And you should have seen Stephen A's face during this thing. What is your issue with Russell Westbrook being at that news conference? That's a wild thing. Not, that, That's a wild thing that well for you to all, say. Him supporting his team, his organization, yeah. his coach, a fellow African-American man well, that gets hired by the Los don't Angeles go there. Lakers. Don't, don't go there. That's and not, now that's not you're what saying, this is what you said. See, but no, 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 but see, you said that he... crossing the line when you bring up, oh, another African-American man. That's not where I'm going with you that. You said that... I'm talking that about the Lakers 
organization discussing trading him. What does that got to do with him? Well, what I'm saying, no, we just talk about what that has. You to said him. him going to the press conference. You're disappointed. I'm saying, I'm no, I'm saying, don't, the, run the I'm, tape. We got the tape. When when C.J. McCollum stopped and said, "Run the tape," Stephen A.'s face was like, "You mother." That's what you do to me when I say run. <laughs> Now, wait a minute. This this is great. (laughs) This is great TV because we saw a scenario where Stephen A was getting impatient with people and basically saying, you know what? Get the frig out of here. I'm going to bury you. Well, now he's got two NBA players. One just got out of the game. One's in the game. And they're like, bruh, you want to talk basketball with us? Like, we're around these guys. We're around the game. Uh, And I think Stephen A meant how dare the Lakers have Russell Westbrook at Darvin Ham's press conference because it's clear they're trying to move Westbrook. I, I think he's wrong on that. But then these guys, like I said, they started tag team and freaking double teaming him, right? And this is this is a great debate technique to get under someone's skin to really annoy him here by JJ Redick. A Lakers organization has been talking about moving Russell Westbrook. My point is is that this guy, there are question marks as to whether or not he's going to be a part of the team. Do you want to take back that statement? No. I feel you don't want to take it back. No. <laughs> I love that. But here's the thing. You want to I, take I, back? The, I'll tell you, yes, yesterday, uh, JVT kept trying to turn the tables on me, and I do this to everyone else. So I was like, I appreciate that he did it. Um, I jokingly said early in the show when we were talking about Draymond Green, sarcastically said, Draymond has consistently been the seventh most important player on the Warriors. And then JVT brought it back like two times in interviews said Cofield said this right to you know the person who's being well, interviewed yeah. without me without having you know me having a chance to say I was being sarcastic but I was like I'll go along for the ride yeah I love JJ right I mean that's a polished move after the guy's trying to explain himself and he goes you want to retract that you want you want to take that back yeah. do you want to take that back and then so, Stephen is just like no okay so two points first of all you introduce this number three of the big five by saying that Caleb and I said we're tired of them the question to Caleb was based on his tweet about the halftime show, mm-hmm. and Caleb was spot on because let me ask you a question, Mr. Cofield. The way you are on the show, when you are doing your sideline reporting or your color commentary for UNLV, you are not Steve Cofield, the radio host. You are a little bit more polished, and, and you, you are a little well, more a, calm. I, there's, there's a role. I'm the, I'm the three on the broadcast. Okay, but, so you're right. so but what, Stephen what, what, A what, what, on the dais at a halftime when you don't have a lot of time, we don't want to hear the yelling. See, first A's, take, you're, you're spot on. Stephen A is the one on first take, and he's one of four on these panel shows. Of, and, of guys and, who are leads on their show. Right. And, so, and you, got, you guys explained it well because you said basically all they've done is put together you know, all ones, right. and, and oftentimes none of them can freaking – you know, be one of four. Yeah, but that's a great no. This 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 was a great one that you brought this number three because those cuts are fantastic. And you're right, the it makes for that, great TV. People yes, are backing down yeah. Stephen A. and he's on the verge of snapping. And now you don't know like, is he part of the bit? Did he know he was going to get his ass kicked at times? He's not used to this. In the past, he was getting really annoyed when people were challenging him. So I can't wait to see where this goes. I, I ESPN has done a great job coming up with because we all we were all questioning yeah, on first take. You know, what are we, we gonna have? We're just going to have punching bags for Stephen A to kick yeah. the crap out of every day? Not anymore. Um, on the Westbrook note, I get what you're saying. Like, okay, or and he's saying, you know, well, they're trying to move him. But, okay, what if they don't? At least he's he was there at the introductory. No, the story should pat Russell Westbrook on the back and go, yeah. good for him that he right. was there. Because I guarantee you, if he wasn't, 
he'd be getting annihilated. Like, right. hey, dude, why aren't you around for the right. new coach? And it would be on him. Yep. Yeah. Number two. So it was interesting. The other night, we saw Draymond Green walk the line, should have got a second technical, should have got kicked out of the game. I see this all the time during the playoffs. I think he's completely out of control and taking advantage of the fact that they can't give him multiple technicals every game for acting like a horse's ass and screaming at the referees. And, you know, they just can't kick him out of every game. Uh, I think it was Von Tobel yesterday. It's one of the things we've talked about a lot on Cofield and Company. The equivalent would be, you know, the the rep of the Legion of Boom, all these big physical defensive back safeties, right? Mm. For the Seahawks just used to brutalize people. Right. And the thought was, well, what are they going to do? Throw pass interference on every friggin' play? So we got to let them, let them get away with certain things. Steve Jabby, who used to ref in the NBA, is now, you know, the refing expert, right? The guy who comes in for commentary. He actually said that, that was good officiating to not give the second tech to Draymond Green because he already had one and we can't kick him out of the game. He called it good officiating. I, I think it I think it sets up this game in a beautiful way. What is going to happen here? Because we know, we don't know for a fact, but we believe in the past that Don David Sternio, the you know mobster-like NBA commissioner, David Stern, we believe that behind the scenes every once in a while, he would tell the officials, you know, hey, let's let's sure. work the game this way, yeah. right? And I think officials follow that, and there's an ebb and a flow, and we used to see the Zen master, Phil Jackson, post-game press conferences, days in between games, you know, his Bulls or Lakers are down, and, well, we're getting a raw deal. Like, this has always been some game is, uh, gamesmanship here. Now that Javi said this, and people have really focused in on the way they're officiating Draymond Green, is tonight's game going to be a rough game for Draymond Green. Well, and what I'm wondering is if the officials are having their pregame meetings with coaches or whatever it is that takes place and they're letting Boston know, hey, you're going to have to police yourself. And like you said earlier, like we talked about earlier, is I don't know if Draymond's so, got an issue with the I don't even I don't know if he's got uh an issue staring him in the face when it comes to the refs and what he's got to worry about. He better worry about how the refs are going to let Boston play yeah. him in the garden. And are they going to be able to beat the hell out of him and goad him in to temper tantrums? Well, they're, they're going to. Or they going to yes. call it tight as hell? No. You nope. think they let it play loose? I think they'll play. I think to an extent. I think they're going to have to play. You know, they're going to. I think that. I think that also Draymond, Draymond is the bully that needs to be punched in the mouth. He needs to be. You know, they need to stand up to him. And I think that when they shut him down whether it's verbal, physical, you know, that – and then the refs will have, they'll have their happy medium. But, um, you know, I I don't know whether or not I agree with, well, just let him get – like, okay, what are we going to do, kick him out? Well, if you want to tame him, then yeah, well, you're going to have to but, double tackle him. But I also think the player knows that, so you right. take advantage of it. Right. Hey, they're not going to throw me out. Right. So you either do or shut up about it. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Cofield and Cofield and Company. I love me some Mad Dog Russo. That's, that's, my, that's my buddy right there. I love him to death. You're so cute making these arguments. It really touches my heart because, you know what, you did admit that you just went to Ireland. Last time I checked, that ain't a cheap flight. So stop bringing up other people's pockets and acting like you made a fortune. You should be satisfied. Stop it. Stop that right now, okay? I told you. Stephen A is the man. Good times. You like, you like bringing up my money. 
you tend to. I like busting on everyone. Anyone yeah. who has a good time, they're spending money. Yeah. I'm like, uh, it must be you, nice. If, if, Didn't if, I do that to someone? Oh, I did it to uh, Money Mags. If you see my. Uh, whenever Ma- I do Magnum, uh, Magnum announced that he booked a trip middle of the football season to go to uh, UNLV and Notre Dame. And I was like, eh, must be nice. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, one of our buddies, uh, George Cole in the sportsbook industry, had dubbed him Money Mags. So uh, I guess Mag said he found a good price on Southwest to get to Chicago to go to the UNLV and Notre Dame game, which, uh, you know, for a – You're going. For a, for a, well, I'm working. Yeah, but you're going. But to, you know, be able to go in the middle of the football season for a guy who's a, a key cog on our hockey show, must be nice to just carve out, you know, a few days off there. Hey, spend that money. Other people's, get out of his pocket. No, I don't do that at all. No, no. <laughs> I'm trying to find what George uh, – I'll find it later. Oh, uh, George Cole said uh, – because we kept writing uh, – SW for Southwest because he said he found a good Southwest flight. And uh, George said, SW to us means Southwest, but to Mags, it's his nickname for his Cessna that he uses for, quote, local flights. Even he isn't wasteful and doesn't use his Gulfstream unless he's traveling overseas, which if you follow Chris Chapman on Twitter, he's the producer sidekick for the VGK Insider Show at Magnum702. If he could tweet more about his travels to Southeast Asia, God, it would be wonderful. I think we only get one an hour every single freaking if you, day. If you, if Must you, be nice to go to Southeast Asia. Well, if you get a press pass and you're ever on press row for Golden Knights games, just ask to sit within three or four seats of him, and you'll be able to hear about all about him because he yeah. loves talking about the trip. Can you imagine if, if VGK ever had a night for the media where they serve some uh, Asian food? It would be the end of it. Or, or, or if you actually, what if actually, ever, if you just came in because you like to order food, you bring it in. Uh, you just come in with like a, you know, a bowl of ramen. Be what, three hours of freaking what if, ramen talk. What if, what if, you know, so like the Raiders sometimes they go to London. Other teams. What if they? What if? What if they say we're going to introduce NHL to somewhere in in Southeast Asia, right? VGK inside. That's automatic. They're, they're, we're doing it from wherever it's at. Mags is going to run. I don't the even show. know why. Honestly, I don't know why he lives here anymore. I don't know why I, he should just move to Bangkok and just do the show remotely. Huh. Why not? It's, it's his getaway. Yours it's and my his, getaway is getaway. Laughlin. That's, you know, it's, I already made a trip. I might have to do another one. <laughs> we had all these plans. It was it was middle of May. We had all these plans ready to go. Then the gas prices start to go up. The flights go higher. We were like, oh, let's go to San Francisco. Then I went to San Diego. We're like, yeah, Laughlin. Yeah. See, so I just, you're right. I do, I do the same thing. Don't mess with other people's money, right? I Don't worry just, about Dustin Johnson and Kevin Na and the, the money these guys are making. Right? I would just go rather celebrate something at dinner like Johnny Depp did. Maybe not to that extent, but, you know, I'll ring up a nice little tab. I've seen you do it. Not 60000 on Indian food. But no, I've but you had to pay off a bet, so. Oh, you've seen me doing what I tweeted. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah. Now you're believe me, you're a cheap date. You don't drink. That changes the whole meal. Yeah, that's why you have no problem betting against me. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. The difference is there between Josh McDaniels, the head coach, and Josh McDaniels, the coordinator that you knew. That's a trick question. <laughs> you're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. The same. He just says it a little more stern now. It's like if you was getting babysitted by your older brother and now the parents are nowhere at home and you're stuck with your big brother for the weekend. It's kind of like that. But uh, there's no big difference between 
Josh the coordinator and Josh the head coach. I mean, he demands perfect and he wants perfect and we're going to go out there and practice to make it perfect. Fired up, fired up. It's June, Raiders minicamp, getting to meet some of the new players. Brandon Bolden was pretty entertaining today. Willie Ramirez is here. It's Cofield. A big angle today with uh, Bolden was, you know, is this Patriots West? I know uh, we'll discuss that on Friday. Willie's got some stuff coming up on that front. Uh, You heard Heidi Fang at the beginning of the cut. She was asking the question from the RJ and from Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. If you haven't been following on Twitter, a uh, brand new morning show, sort of, um, on r 920. Clay, Heidi, and now another member of the RJ is on the show, Vinny. Yeah. So Vinny, Heidi, and Clay, every morning, Monday to Friday, 7 to 10. A lot of things moving. A lot of things shaking. Dave, know- Dave Shane works at the RJ, and Dave is now on a new beat, but we want to tap into his new beat knowledge, but also his knowledge of – the Vegas Golden Knights. He's up here with Willie and Cofield. Dave, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while since I've chatted with you guys. Yes, yes. First of all, how are you doing? Uh, good. Enjoying the new beat, you know. It's been uh, been fun out at the poker and, and all that sort of stuff. So just getting used to it. But, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good time. So, Dave, you know, as you heard Steve say, it's June, a lot of excitement, the Raiders, minicamp, OTAs. You know who else is still active and doing something in June? Guy that uh, you and I got to know well for, well, about two and a half seasons. And, well, Gerard Gallant's still in the Stanley uh, – oh, no, still, still in the playoffs. There we go. There we go. Whatever's laughing. What are we laughing for? Here we go. It's like what, that what knife. You, we just turn turn that knife on all the, all the nice fans that uh that are still uh, angry about firing, huh? Just a little jab, little little jab in there for him. <laughs> well, and you know, just just give some give the listeners a little insight because I remember you and I would talk on press row the emails that would come in. Do you still happen to get emails about Gerard Gallant? Oh yeah, especially this year, especially as they struggled. Down the stretch, the last couple months, I mean, it was a whole barrage of, you know, they made a mistake, they shouldn't have fired him in the first place, and, and all that sort of stuff. It's, you know, it's an, it's an interesting thing, and, you know, looking back on it, there was a lot of things, I can say this now, I guess, maybe, but there were a lot of things going on, I think, behind the scenes that we weren't really able to write about and kind of never really came out, and, you know, I think, you know, looking back, it's really easy to just look at what happened in January when Jared Glant was fired in 2020, and they were out of the playoffs at the time. They had a four-game losing streak. And I think, you know, from the Knights fans' perspective, a lot of fans focus on just that short-term little thing and say, that's why they fired him, and I disagree with it, and whatever. There was so much more going on with that. And, and I'll just say, I'll put it as my opinion. I think especially in that second season, it became very obvious that Gerard Gallant was not compatible with that front office. His philosophies, you know, toward, say, analytics and things like that were much different than the direction that that front office wanted to go and was trying to go. And it it became pretty obvious, I think, during that season. And this is the other thing, too. You have to look at that second season. They struggled. They they stumbled out of the gate. That was the Nate Schmidt suspension year. They kind of got together, had one little run, and, you know, sort of just coasted in the playoffs because nobody was really challenging them 
you know, for that third-place spot. And obviously we know what happened, you know, in the playoffs. But I think my point with all this is there, there's a much larger context to that fire that I, that I think Knights fans tend to glance over, and then it's just very easy to go, oh, well, he's with the Rangers. He's in the conference final. He's, you know, obviously a heck of a coach. He should have been with the Knights. And, you know, yeah, you, you, I guess you could say that. But, you know, I'll just kind of criticize or, or I'll throw a constructive criticism, I guess, of Gerard Gallant going on in this series right now, Lightning have made some adjustments to what the Rangers are doing. And the onus is going to be on Jar Glant to not just stand up there and say, well, we need to work harder and we just need to play a game and things like that. At some point, he's going to have to coach his team to two, you know, two victories here out of the next three games if they want to make the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I agree 100% because going into this series, the one thing that I did say about Jar Glant, he was 6-1 and one as a coach against the Lightning since 2017, 3-1 while with the Golden Knights, 3-0 the regular season with the Rangers, now 2-2. Two and two, And like you said, the, you know, he runs that system. He runs that, you know, rolling four lines, um, that fast pace. And, and we saw it with the Rangers, but the Lightning made the adjustments just like, oh, the Washington Capitals did in the Stanley Cup. And, you know, they made the right adjustments. And even though the Lightning have struggled on the road, and the Rangers have been successful at home, and they have home ice advantage. They better be careful because either the two-time defending champs, and they haven't—they didn't win the last two Stanley Cups because they because Cooper didn't make the right adjustment or make the wrong adjustments because along the way he knew how to coach that team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're the deepest or, or the best team, the best goaltending for the most part, deepest, most experienced. I mean, you know, Lightning are the team to beat. I don't think that's you know. A big surprise to anybody, but you know, look, I'll, I'll go back, and this is again gonna—I I don't mean to like pound on here. It's—it's kind of easy for me to sit here and do that, and that's not my intention. And I'm certainly not going to defend the front office or anything. But in the context of what what you're kind of talking about, and I think you can speak to this too, Willie. We saw two and a half years of basically the same practices, same things over and over. There were not a lot of, you know, game-specific, team-specific things that they would work on in practice. Now, contrast that with Pete DeBoer. If you were ever at City National, I know you were. I'm more talking to listeners. If anybody was ever up there, you saw completely different things. You, you heard things when they played, especially Colorado, Edmonton, guys that they had a specific game plan for in terms of slowing down in the neutral zone, and they would work on that type of stuff. It was one of the biggest differences I saw between Pete DeBoer and Gerard Glant, at least on the practice side of things, was just specific kind of game oriented practices from Pete DeBoer where Gerard Gallant was, look, we're going to do our stuff and this is the routine and we're going to go through it. And, and, you know, you hear that old cliche from the GMs every time somebody gets fired about a new voice and all that sort of stuff. And you know what, maybe behind the scenes, there was a little bit with Gerard Gallant the nights of getting a little stale and the same routine over and over and just feeling like everybody's a little too comfortable, a little, you know, a little bit in a rut. And at that time, a couple of years ago, you know, Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee and I guess Bill Foley, if he approved this, felt like, you know, they needed a shakeup. Speaking with Dave Shane, the poker beat writer for the Review Journal. But uh, <laughs> so you talk about two different coaching styles, the Gerard Gallant to Pete DeBoer, talking about a new voice. Boston just said they need a new voice. So let's move on to the coaching search before we talk about the World Series of Poker. Um, yeah. Everybody's talking about Barry Trotz being the guy because he's the most popular name, but is he the right fit? Who is the right fit? I think probably Barry Trotz would be a good fit here. 
to be quite frank. I, I From a couple people that I talked to toward the end of the year and then after Pete DeBoer was fired, just kind of trying to get a sense of, you know, maybe what would happen. You know, one of the first names I like one of the first names I thought was Bruce Boudreaux. Um, because I felt like maybe they need a little more offensive minded guy if somebody could free them up a little bit in that way. Obviously he, you know, stayed in Vancouver, so he's out of the mix. I think Barry Trotz just from talking to people, his voice will carry a lot of weight in that locker room. I think with the number of veterans that they have in there, you know, if you have a young coach, somebody inexperienced, maybe somebody who hasn't won a cup. I think you're running the risk a little bit of them tuning him out and maybe not respecting that coach as much as they should. I think Barry Trotz walks in there, you know, similar system to what Pete DeBoer, you know, had last year with that one, one, three, if they want to keep it, you know, that Stanley cup credential and, and just, you know, a little bit more of that authority figure. I think, you know, a veteran locker room is, is going to need somebody like that who's, you know, going to stand up to them, not going to take their, their guff and, and not let, you know, some of those players run over them. And I'm not saying necessarily that that happened with Pete DeBoer, but I think, you know, there are maybe some candidates, some names that got thrown out there that I, I don't think would work as well. Um, you know, just as, a, as an example, and this is just kind of me talking, like I don't see Rick Tockett, for an for example, being a fit here, uh, just based on kind of what he did in Arizona. And I, I know that's a different team, different organization, and he had to adapt to his talent. But, but that particular style, you know, I, I don't think that would fit. So everything right now from, from what I've kind of seen and heard a little bit, everybody's in a holding pattern waiting for Barry Trotz to make his decision. Uh, It's been reported that the Knights were one of the teams that he at least had discussions with. Obviously, Emily Kaplan from ESPN had put out there that, you know, she kind of heard that maybe there was a deal in place or something like that. She didn't, you know, put a a real hard and fast report out there or anything, but it does feel like everybody's just kind of waiting for Barry Trotz to make his decision, excuse me, his decision, and then all the dominoes will fall after that. So, uh, and let me add to your new beat, not only World Series Poker, but uh, for those sports bettors, which we have a lot of listeners, this football season especially, also going to be on the sports betting beat. But right now, the big topic, World Series of Poker. It's made the move from the Rio to the Strip. What are the big boys saying about it? Everybody seems to love it right now. Um, Obviously, now I talked to folks over the weekend, and it's changed a little bit. I think we'll get into that here for a second. There's, uh, There's one big concern going on out there. But in terms of just the move, everybody seems, for the most part, to, to be really on board and love it. The, you know, the biggest thing, the Rio was very accessible. You kind of get in, get out. Didn't matter if you were at two in the morning, two in the afternoon. And you park at the convention center. You walk through the doors and you walk down the hall, and and everything's pretty much right there. There was a lot of concern from the players that spread things out over two properties because they're at Paris, Las Vegas, and they're also at Bally's that, you know, you'd have some confusion. How much is the walk? What if you have to go, you know, from Paris with your chips to a different table at Bally's? Is there security? All, all those sorts of things. And poker players are just notorious complainers about everything. They'll find anything and everything to, to be about. I don't know if I can say that word. Um, but once everybody got over there, I think they realized a strip has more dining options. You go on a break. There's more food things. There's entertainment. And the rooms are much bigger well lit you know one of the things it was, it's funny it, it was always a, a long-standing complaint at the rio about how cold it was especially in the amazon room and we heard over the weekend oh i, I mean almost everybody i talked to like daniel negranu uh maria ho like all everybody's first thing out of their mouth oh the temperature's great so it seems pretty universal that that everybody's 
you know, enjoying the move down in the strip. And I think once the main event starts, especially July 3, it'll even have a little bit bigger feel, you know, with that, that strip atmosphere to it. So you sent over some topics for me in terms of the interesting stuff at the World Series of Poker so far. And, of course, I'm going to the bottom of the list. Um, oh, no. Okay. A female masseuse was fired for giving a nipple massage at the table. Yeah, so I don't I don't know the entire story with this, so I'll, I'll kind of give a little of the detail from what I know. But uh, apparently, one of the uh, recreational players, pretty notorious jokester. Um, well, first off, let me let me back up because mas- massage at a poker table is pretty common. We see it all the time. Uh, the men and women who are contracted there work very hard, you know, to. Make sure that everybody's comfortable, and, you know, that's their job. Well, somebody, I guess, took it a little bit far, decided that they wanted to take the shirt off at the table and ask for a nipple massage, and the masseuse obliged. Well, there was a picture of that action that went out on social media and the internet, and, of course, you know, once that happens, then, you know, you're opening yourself up to other people not uh, feeling that that's appropriate at a poker table. So there were a lot of complaints about that. It eventually got back to the company that the uh, masseuse works for. And, yeah, my understanding is she was fired for that. Ah. So the player the player in question, I believe, has put some things on social media trying to make sure that she gets her job back and he's taking the blame and responsibility for everything that happened. But, you know, it's crazy. It's like one of those just goofy stories that always seems to happen at the WSOP. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess I can see both sides of it. To be quite honest, I, I kind of want to laugh. There's part of me that thinks it's funny, but there, there's also a large part of me that understands how inappropriate. And, you know, one of the big pushes, you know, these days is to try to get more women into poker. So if you're sitting there as a man, you know, with your shirt off trying to get a nipple massage at the table, maybe not the best uh, way to accommodate, you know, some new folks that are trying to get into the game. So, I mean, I thought we were back to some normalcy. We're trying to work through this, uh, but I guess we're still in a pandemic. Um, and I'm not making light yeah. of it, but uh, legendary Bill Helmuth, Helmuth is COVID. And now there's raising concerns. Is the virus spreading around the event? Yeah, well, you know, he, so Bill Helmuth, 16-time bracelet winner, the all-time record holder, obviously one of the, the more popular and well-known players. Uh, he posted last night about it. There was another player, uh, David Baker, who had posted over the weekend about it. And if you scroll there's Definitely been some other things. You can do searches, and, and other players seem to be popping up with this. I think, you know, over the weekend they had the housewarming event. It was spread out over four flights. But in total, 20,000-plus entrants for that tournament. It was the fourth largest in poker history. You know, you've got giant rooms. You've got these fields, 5,000 people, three, you know, packed into, you know, these giant, you know, convention center, uh, event center things at Bally's and all of that. Players are handling cards are next to each other and all those sorts of things this year no mask requirements no vaccination requirements anything like that from the wsop unlike the last couple of years so yeah we we are seeing a lot of spread at least early on we, we've seen like i said a couple high profile players and and certainly it's it's something to to keep an eye on i i think you know it's it's on my radar i'll definitely at some point this week be asking if we keep hearing more you know if officials have you know, any plans or what their their thoughts, any statement on all this, if they can do anything to keep, you know, players safe. But, yeah, at this point, it definitely is, I believe, on everybody's radar, and it's certainly a big red flag that, that there could be, you know, all kinds of outbreaks with, with players packed in and, 
you know, handling cards and, and being in close quarters like that. Dave, we're up against you, but I got one more for you and then uh, let everybody know where they can find you also, what you got coming up. But the World Poker Tour, they announced a $15 million guaranteed prize pool, World Championship in December. It's the largest guarantee in live poker history, huh? Yeah, yeah. So obviously a little bit different from the WSOP, the WPT, the World Poker Tour. That's the, the show everybody sees on, you know, like cable. I think it's on Valley's now. It used to be on Travel Channel. Um, so, yeah, like you mentioned, a $15 million guarantee for their their world championship in December, and it'll be at the win. It'll be here in Vegas. That's the largest live guarantee in poker history. What was believed to be is $10 million. last year. Uh, win did that with their win millions, and then again in the spring. So it's been done twice at 10, and, and WBT is upping this $15 million guaranteed. So it should draw you know, a, a pretty large field. It should, you would think, cover that guarantee. I think you know, all the high rollers you know, we'll jump into that. And what the WPT is trying to do, you know, create a little bit more of a big festival. It's kind of their flagship event. Obviously, that's like the, the main event for, you know, for the, I think it's the 1st through the 20th, if I remember right. And, and it's kind of be a big festival, lots of music and other activities and things like that, you know, going on. They kind of want to, you know, mimic a little bit, I guess, maybe what the World Series, but, you know, kind of have their big, big showcase event, too. And $15 million guarantee certainly caught everybody's attention. Dave, tell people uh, on the RJ site where they can find all the poker stuff. Yeah, so reviewjournal.com backslash poker. Uh, I'll be having, uh, you know, all WSOP stuff, any uh, WPT things going on. There are all kinds of events going on, you know, around, you know, Vegas this summer, big ones, the Venetian, the Win, you know, MGM Grand, all, all kinds of stuff around town, you know, this summer now that, you know, poker is a little bit more in full swing, so definitely check that out reviewjournal.com backslash poker thanks dave you got it guys thank you there he is dave shane from the rj on the way back willie gets on the this man wants a canopy (laughs) join the conversation on twitter at espn las vegas Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. You know, you got to love the NFL when it comes to conspiracy theories. And uh, I'm hearing there are multiple conspiracy theories now at Raiders camp from you guys in the media. Not me. Not me. What do we got going on here? I, I firmly believe that the blue canopies, the tents, are not being put up on purpose because it's so hot. And it's like, well, if you don't like it, then you can go back inside. So, so here's the setup. They've got the three practice fields uh, kind of behind the facility in Henderson. Uh, media can go out there for a couple hours and watch practice. And you guys used to have canopies on one side. That near, was during the season. Near, near, the, near, near their building, yeah. right? Yep. And uh, now they've moved most of the practices to – far field so you can't really see anything and it's just it's a test of manhood and womanhood uh it started to get really hot this week not as hot as it's gonna get but uh, standing out there for two hours with no cover can be a real test yeah i heard you guys bouncing around ideas of like who's who came up with the uh getting rid of the canopies the media has to sit out there and tough it out like the players and the coaches i asked about the canopies today and the spokesman said, oh, we'll have him out there for practice. He goes, but do you know how, you know, we got to put, you want us to put them up every single day and take them down? That's a lot of work and manpower. I was like, what? 
them up. What are you talking about? It's, down. Like, it's like a, it's a, what do they call like pop ups? You see them at softball fields in, in little league. Or put them up with sandbags on them. And just leave them for three days. Mm-hmm. And then OTAs, it's one day each week. But eh, what are you going to do? I do know through some sources that an inquiry is made to the Professional Football Writers Is that right? We're going to the next level. Time yeah. to snitch. Just asking, yeah. hey, is there a distance rule? And they said there is no distance rule. They can practice wherever they want. You're out there. Bring your binoculars. Um, the, but the binoculars. But yeah. anyone who thinks and is blaming this being a Patriot thing, oh, no. This apparently took place in Denver when McDaniels was the coach there. And it took a number of reporters complaining and questioning him, asking him, hey, what's the deal? You know, uh, maybe putting it out there, maybe having your top representative of the association go to him, say something. And But this is a this is a McDaniels thing. Thanks to Battleborn Injury Lawyers for housing the show today. 570-9000 is the number. Give them a call when you need help. Justin Watkins, Matt Hoffman.